Are you sitting comfortably? Well, that's about to change. Welcome to the pleasure of discovery. I'm John Rogers, and today we're going on a walk. That's right, the lot of us. We're keeping it local. You set the pace. I'll be the guide. The only thing is, I don't know where we're going. But bear with me; that's all part of the plan. We're going to do something a little different today. But before we get into that, let's set some ground rules. This walk can be done anywhere. From Paisley to Preston, Windsor to Wrexham, as long as you're near some kind of town, city, village, suburb, locality, any built-up space really, you just need your eyes and your ears. This is all about seeing the familiar with fresh eyes. We're on the hunt for things you'd never normally notice, and discover what's hidden in plain sight. A passageway you've never walked down, that secret track, an edge land between the known and the unknown. How's the weather looking? It's important to see the landscape in all its moods and phases, not just in a beautiful sunset. At the crack of dawn, but on the cloudy days, the intemperate days, the days when something's telling you to stay on the sofa, these are the days to be drawn outside. While you get your stuff together and put your shoes on. Let me tell you about psychogeography for a minute. Sidestepping its French post-war avant-garde beginnings and all the heavy theory, of course, you can find that out for yourself. In simple terms, psychogeography is the subjective study of how places can influence the human psyche, how they make us feel. But let's just stick to the practical stuff. The aim is to defamiliarize yourself, to achieve a kind of dislocation, so you can see the world around anew. There are a number of ways we can discover the mysteries latent on our doorstep, to unlock what the great rock critic Grail Marcus called the unknown facets of the known. Astonishment on the terrain of boredom, innocence in the face of experience. When he described what the psychogeographic derive was all about, that's right. Derive basically just means drift, going for a wander, either with intent or just stepping outside of your daily routine to go for a stroll. So stop what you're doing, take off those marigolds, get up from that couch. It's time to close the laptop. We're heading out. Have you got your shoes on yet?
We'll go out for our drift, or stroll, wander, derive, call it what you will. And aim to be bound by no programme. We are stepping outside of the routines of everyday life. Free to be led by our feet and the articulations of the landscape beneath them. So to start, we're going to follow a set of instructions. There's no end of ways in which we can plan a derive. You could just simply find an old map and walk the old street plan of the area where you live. But for this, we're sticking to a simple algorithm or set of instructions, if you will. Second right, second right, first left, repeat. Second right, second right, first left. Repeat. And we'll be dropping in on some of the places I end up as we do the walk together. You ready? Let's go. Okay, so second right, second right, first left, repeat. I'll remind you every so often, so don't worry. Look around you. Can you feel the ambience of your surroundings? Is there a particular vibe or feel to where you are right now? Can you hear any particular sounds? Is that the distant rumbling of an arterial road? Is somebody soaring down a tree? Can you smell barbecues? children playing in back gardens? Is there a dog barking somewhere? Are the crows announcing your arrival high up in the trees? Can you hear the rattling of the seed pods in the wind? I think that's enough of that now. It's time to move on. Why don't you use a camera or a notepad to make a record of observations as you walk. It helps to focus your attention on what's happening around you. It also slows you down. Remember to take your time. 
Second right, second right, first left, repeat. I'll be back with you in three minutes. Let's talk about some of the different types of walks. You can follow a walk along an ancient trackway, pathways that are thousands of years old, linking together archaeological sites.
there's the psychogeographical derive or drift. And you can kind of make that up as you go along. You can follow old maps and try and walk the street plans that were there many years ago and see which streets have been deleted from the map. You can follow contours of tension. These are passages of infrastructure, developments, borders and boundaries, roads and railway lines contested features in our landscape. One of my favourite types of walks is to go river hunting, following buried rivers and streams, gurgling away beneath the pavements. just at the junction of two streets, two suburban streets. And these streets were laid out in a period of around 20 years at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. So it's kind of classic late Victorian development. Um, what's really interesting here is this is the first hint that we get that we're walking along the upper ridge of a river valley. Because if you look into the landscape, you can see there's a decline and you can see it slightly rising on the other side. And it's an indicator here that there could be the presence of a buried river. You can take these indicators from the, from the streetscape and then overlay a series of old maps to see what may be causing these kind of, the, the, the contours, the contours of the land that we're walking over, which of course you don't get if you're in a car, you, bicycles actually are quite a good fit finding river valleys but certainly it's only when you when you walk the land that you detect these hidden presences so what we'll do is we'll go around the corner to a place where I think we can hear the buried river Now, as we go down, we come down, and you, you, now you can feel you're, you're descending into a river valley. It's really exciting. I think sometimes you can feel like the energy of the river pulsing up through the pavement. Uh, but we won't have to rely on such a hippie hocus in a minute because we'll be able to actually hear the river if we can avoid death. Unfortunately, it's a really busy corner. But beneath this street iron here, we can hear the flowing waters of Leighton Stone's Lost River, the Philly Brook. There's a building here near the buried river, which is, highlights an interesting feature of the streetscape around buried rivers. It's, a, it's an old brick building that was built in the 1950s. And it's, it's the Leightonstone and Wanstead Synagogue. 
You find um, religious buildings near buried rivers because it would have been relatively cheap land. You find things, you find infrastructure, you find schools, you find hospitals, you find electricity substations, pumping stations, churches, synagogues, temples, mosques. And here, the name of the river is recorded in the street name, Phillybrook Road. Although the river doesn't actually run down Phillybrook Road, Phillybrook Road sits on the upper, on the upper bank. If you see a street name with the word brook in it, that's a great indicator. Sometimes they're being romantic and fanciful and trying to call to mind the countryside. A lot of the time it is an indicator that there is a river nearby. But this is the thing with buried rivers is that they are there and we bury them, we culvert them, we force them deep underground and yet they still make their presence known. They still dictate the shape of the built environment. In some places, um, there's a story like in South London, there's the Falconbrook that after heavy rain has been known to blow the street irons out of the ground <laughs> up into the air, which is brilliant. It's, it's getting its revenge for our, uh, our mistreatment of it. Remember, it's second right, second right, first left, repeat. Just another little reminder for you. I'll be back with you in two minutes. Note the changing ambiences of your environment as we walk. Allow yourself to be guided by your desires. 
don't feel that you have to stick rigidly to the algorithm. You might reach a dead end and wonder what to do. You might be drawn in a particular direction, down an intriguing alleyway or street that you've never noticed before. Allow yourself to abscond from the rules. Make a note of what's catching your attention. We're walking along um, this, this path now, which we're sharing with a cycle path, but we're right within the acoustic footprint of an incredibly busy road, the M11 Link Road, a very contested development which bulldozed through this part of East London. A lot of the houses here have been bought up by the Department of Transport, but then they were let out to artists on very low rents through um, a housing association because they couldn't get the Act of Parliament to build the road. So this area along the, what is now the road was in limbo for a long time. What it gave birth to was the largest community of artists in Western Europe. This huge community of artists who turned their houses into artworks. In a way, acts of development like this become acts of erasure, acts of erasure of memory and part of the act of walking is part of an act of remembering and recording and constantly re-remembering and re-encoding those stories in the landscape. You have to revisit those stories continuously, remember them, recount them, pass them on so they don't get completely lost forever because all we have now is a very, very busy motorway. So this road here, we've got six lanes of traffic and you can see it's packed heading out of London but flowing freely into London. And this is an example for me of these contours of tension that exist in the landscape. You know, this road wasn't here forever. There was a landscape here before the road. Its building was very controversial. It displaced a whole community. And those stories are here, they're laying latent in that tarmac. So what you can learn an awful lot from finding these contours of tension and walking along them and trying to hear their stories. For me, one of the most successful walks is when I get thoroughly lost. That's when the adventure really starts to take off. Second right, second right, first left, repeat. Let's come back together in two minutes.
How's everyone getting on? Are you making a note of the smells and atmospheres? Are you looking at the weeds growing in the cracks of the pavements and sprouting from the brickwork? Have you listened to any birdsong? Let's jump to me at Wanstead Flats. Now the landscape changes at the end of this Victorian street. We enter into a beautiful open space, Wanstead Flats. And there's so much we can learn just from looking at this landscape. And you look at this glorious open space, sat in the middle of a very highly developed area. And we've got the railway lines, we've got the, the, the busy high street, on the far side, we've got the, the North Circular Road. This is such a, a precious kind of treasured open space. But in the past, people have tried to build on it. You can never take it for granted. We have this open space to enjoy because people fought for it to be maintained as open space. If not, where we're stood right now would be houses, would have been developed. It's a very uh, sobering thought when you're taking your evening stroll. This is more kind of a, a rugged open space on the edge here. And then just beyond the tree line, we have a large area of football pitches. And many of England's most kind of famous and celebrated footballers started their football life out playing here. Let's go over here. We're going to walk across the football pitches. Try not to get hit with the football. And you'll see the, the way that the, the landscape changes. We've got this beautiful bit of 18th century landscaping here. And then we're going to walk onto basically a busy recreation ground. We've got a big block of flats there. We've got some children doing football training. But we're going to walk now off the smooth surface of the football pitch. I say smooth with slight tongue in cheek, but certainly smooth. And we're going to walk into some really quite clumpy undergrowth. This isn't accidental. It's important to have different environments and an open space to encourage different types of plant growth. And this is a kind of classic, it's almost semi, I think it's almost a kind of semi-marshy environment. There's a lot of water here. Um, we have gravels here that sit on top of London clay. So the water permeates up through the soil quite easily. You have to really watch where you're walking. You can easily twist an ankle. I'll show you this up here. 
over here is a really it's a really lovely feature because what someone's done is they've created their own kind of wetlands here where they literally just one person a couple of months ago came out and dug out these kind of trenches that led into a like a lagoon it's just been filled up with the groundwater which is an incredible feat really when you look at the scale of it and there is actually a pond marked on the 19th century maps of the area so I wonder if the person who did this was studying the old maps could see that there was a pond that was very seasonal but it was really buried in the undergrowth and now it's it's a real haven of wildlife it will produce a different type of undergrowth it may encourage a different type of migratory bird it's really quite beautiful this is a good example of the kind of thing you can find when you allow yourself to stray off the beaten track I mean, you never know what's lurking in the undergrowth. Sometimes it can be some quite unpleasant fly tipping. On the other hand, it could be a really beautiful feature like this. Places have a personality and a character. Everywhere is somewhere. Everywhere is different. It's important to get to know where you live. We are, after all, animals and fairly territorial animals. We need to feel the ground beneath our feet. And remember, look up, there above the shop signs and beneath the eaves. You'll see symbols and strange patterns that tell us about the people who built these buildings and left a mark to carry forward in time. Once you become more aware of what's lying beneath your feet, um, it changes your sense of wonder. Before, you would think that you would have to travel far away to exotic locations to find amazing things, amazing stories, incredible places, to find history. Um, or you might think that actually there are famous buildings near where you live there'll be the local listed building there'll be the famous old stately home or it might be an old church and so that these things are very obvious and they're the things that you learn at school but actually you realize that there's all sorts of different narratives they're just laying in the landscape and once you start to pick up on one or two you realize how various and numerous they are so you can't look at the world around you in quite the same way again because you can't take anything at face value you know that there are more layers there just waiting to be unlocked and be discovered and you can find mystery and wonder and beauty in the everyday it doesn't have to be so blatantly signposted for you anymore second right second right first left repeat i'll be back with you in two minutes
We've been doing this for a while now. How about we mix things up? I'm ready to break the rules a little. Are you? Let's go this way. I can film myself being drawn by the contours of the land. Is that a buried river down there? Let's go and take a look. I can see an alleyway along here that I've never noticed before. I've never been up there. The backs of garages can sometimes be quite mysterious places to walk. People don't usually come this way unless they have a particular reason to be drawn up here. It's a functional landscape, not one for a stroll such as the one we're doing now. The more you walk, the more you realise that the walker becomes invisible. This is such an irregular thing to do, to just go out for a stroll, that people stop seeing you, and you start to see more as a result. So just on the far side of, of this open space here, we walk across another another football pitch and we enter into um, a really curious development here a really curious housing development a place with no pub can you imagine such a thing and then the end of the street here we come to the Empress Avenue allotments vast allotment site it was actually featured in Mike Lee's film Another Year and rising over the allotment site we see the mighty pylons great sentinels of the edge lands so I feel that people come to the edge lands to praise these pylons I mean for me the edge lands tell you the story of the city but they tell you the story of the town wherever you are edge lands are a feature in every kind of built-up area so it's where you find sewage treatment works it's where you find substations and electric power stations. So the power that we need to run our cities is there. It's where all our sewage goes, it's where all our water goes, it's where actually some of our water comes from. You find reservoirs there. It's where our rivers are. Without the rivers, we wouldn't be living here. Most settlements grew up around rivers. So they really tell you the story of everything that's going on. And one of the, the appeals for me of for Edgelands is you very rarely find any people there. You know, people will drive to very specific locations. They'll drive to the recycling place. They'll drive to the mega mall. They very rarely walk there. They won't want to walk beneath the pylons along the riverbank. But from the Edgelands, you get to see the story of where you live. I think one of the things with the, with the modern city, particularly, is that uses are a lot more mixed than they once were. You know, we had very clear industrial zones and we had very clear suburban residential zones and very clear urban centres. Now it's a lot more fragmented and broken up than that. I mean, I think, I think this, the story of the Edgelands, though, is pretty consistent. This is where you will find the things we don't really want to look at. We need them close to the town and the city centre, but we don't really want them right in our face. So we kind of, we shoved them away in these little pockets, in between spaces, really. So it's about 
when you go when you go walking you go walking consciously and you allow yourself to be led by your own desires you get to narrate your own landscape you get to create your own parameters for what is and what isn't picturesque picturesque can be anything we associate picturesque with particular landscapes you know, beautiful trees and flowers and lakes but picturesque can be a fantastic council estate built in the 1930s. Picturesque can be some pylons over a motorway. It's been embedded in our psyche that these are places to be avoided, um, whereas I think there are places to be celebrated. I'll be back with you in three minutes. So I've been going for roughly 40 minutes now and I can feel that this walk is coming towards its end. The good thing about these derives is that you can just go with it for as long as it feels right. Allow yourself to be led by your feet and by the landscape. Let the place you're walking in talk to you. Listen to its secrets. 
I hope you found some new ways of seeing in those old familiar places. So I'm going to head off now and retrace my footsteps across the landscape home. But I hope to see you on the edge land soon. Keep drifting, people. Keep wandering, keep exploring. And remember, adventure begins at home. This podcast is part of Good Nature, Selfridge's ongoing exploration into the healing powers of nature and escapism. Tune in each week for more sonic journeys designed to help you escape, be inspired and discover the joys of the natural world. And keep an eye on Selfridges.com to see the Good Nature concept grow through thought-provoking events and mood-boosting experiences. It was a Radio Wolfgang production and featured John Rogers. The producers were Holly Aquilina and Ivor Manley, and the executive producer was Ellie DiMartino. Martino.